Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you I had to fail, had to fall just for This is the final word. It is not the final word, World Cup Daily, so I don't have to be quite so excited or quite so fast when we started off. This is not the Daily, which is released every day. This is the Weekly, which has not been released for a fortnight. Confused? So are we. I'm Jeff Lemon. Adam Collins is with me. And we have been podcasting up and down the length of the British Isles and possibly the breadth as well. But it's time to take a little bit more time for the longer, drawn-out, uh, weekly edition. We, we've described this in the past as a pop Puri edition. This is what this will be as well. I, I like the fact that we can just chill out and take our time and we don't need to stick to the 15 to 20 minutes we've given ourselves each evening at Stumps. We'll, of course, be doing a podcast at Stumps where we go at four or five times this pace in a short time from now, but currently we're watching the game in front of us, which we're going to review later, which will come out on the podcast feed probably before this. It, it will, yeah. So there'll be a review of the New Zealand-South Africa game that will tell you everything that happened, which will come out at, uh, before this comes out, and this is being recorded at a time when we don't know what's going to happen yet because the Kiwis are 126 for four, chasing a, a modest target, and another wicket could make things very sticky for them, and they've got a long way to go. This reminds me of Back to the Future 2 with the alternate 995, and having to go back to 1955 to get the Grey Sports Almanac, which now has a cricket um, angle as well, because Jared okay. Kimber, our colleague, wrote the, the wrote a piece for mm. the Ringer about why um, the Grey Sports Almanac, if it were actually a thing, would need to be no fewer than seventy thousand pages. Yeah, why it couldn't possibly be in booklet form that could fit in the back of Biff Tannen's jeans pocket. Um, so you know, to that end, it, it's it's worthwhile. I've always kind of been obsessed with time travel growing up, so I'm glad we can sort of play a role in yeah. cutting a hole in the space-time continuum today on The Final Word. And Kimber was absolutely right because it basically looked like a crossword magazine. It was a sort of, yeah, fold it it in half and pop it in your pocket and yet it supposedly had, what, 70 years worth of every sporting result from college level up in the entire world. Yeah, 1950 to 2000. And to think actually because in the back, the last last act of Back to the Future 2, they go back to the high school dance the uh, Enchantment Under the Sea dance mm. uh, and he has to watch himself um, do playing a whole range of things playing the guitar and so on yep. and the dust jacket of Grey Sports Almanac appears on Ooh La La which is what Biff is reading at the time and Principal Strick 
Glenn, I can't remember his name. That's bad of me considering wow. when I was about seven years old. I knew every word to Back to the Future 2. My brother and I, every day before school, would watch that film in rotation with uh, a, a documentary called Good for Football, which was about Hawthorne Footy Club's end of season trips between 1987 and wow. 1989. So, you know, competing passions there. But anyway, the, the dust jacket sat neatly over the top of a, a raunchy book that, that Biff was reading. So, mm. you know, there, there's, there's several different plot holes there. I don't remember that principle being very prominent in the plot, so I'm impressed that you... Slacker! Could... Remember the... You, you're just a slacker, McFly. McFly, yeah, sure, but he wasn't... I George mean, McFly was he was slacker, no. Usually. He's not in the league of, say, Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No, absolutely not. Or Principal Schneider from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> These are principals who have a, a very prominent role in their respective plots. They they drive various storylines. They're, they're deeply involved. They're not just comic relief. But, but he is in the plot to the extent that he's executed, isn't he? Or is he committed? No, Doc Brown's committed in the newspaper <laughs> archive and the principal... It is Strickland, I'm pretty sure, is, uh, is, is murdered, I think. Oh, he's murdered. Or, or maybe George McFly's murdered. Either way, oh, no, 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 no. He comes out with the shotgun. Sorry, I'm conflating a lot of storylines here. Yep. The principal comes out on the porch with the shotgun mm. um, and springs Marty and McFly looking at his newspaper and trying to clarify what on earth is going on. Mm-hmm. But yes, you know, he's there enough. And, I, you know, slacker is his, is his tagline in the same way that Biff's is uh, chicken and, 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 and I hate manure. And I, I, I hate, hate manure. Yeah. And Marty's is heavy and Doc's is great Scott. Great Scott. Yeah. It'd be good to have a catch cry <laughs> like that. Hey, <Ay>, caramba. <laughs> <laughs> like in Back to the Future 3 yeah. when Marty goes, great Scott. And Doc goes, ooh, this is heavy. They had a bit of a role reversal. Ooh, well, they're really getting into the postmodern uh, cinema <laughs> stuff in the Back to the Future universe. Um, we should probably talk about cricket, I suppose. Although must we, we? we? Must we? We've been doing a lot of that. But there are some things that we don't get to talk about in the Daily Show because they're not how many wickets Chucky Bahasan took or, um, you know, what was really funny at the game that day. So we will get to those things later. But particularly this little tussle here between New Zealand and South Africa that's still going on in the past in which Jimmy Nisham has just driven a boundary in the style of a man who's just been interviewed on the final word and has given a particularly <laughs> insightful and incisive interview. Oh, wait, before I get finish this sentence, I should also say, second half of the show, Daniel Norcross is here. We're not doing an interview today, but we are playing a new game called Nerd Pledge Quiz, in which Dan Norcross and Adam Collins face off against each other and you, the listeners, so that's in part two. But... In terms of the scheduling of this tournament, this New Zealand-South Africa result is really important because, you know, if, if the Kiwis win it, basically, the top four is almost entirely baked in and we've got a couple of weeks of largely meaningless matches to go. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, this game here between New Zealand and South Africa, I, I want you at some point, Jeff, to call a couple of balls to take us all the way back to the start of our relationship when we used to call off the television illegally. I'm not sure whether that's a good idea at an ICC tournament. Um, but <laughs> I, I think you know, if you're releasing it uh, over 24 hours later, it's probably okay. I, I, I suspect those who own the rights would have a different view about that, but put that to one side. Uh, this game, South Africa and New Zealand... And and game tomorrow between Australia and Bangladesh mm. could not be more important in terms of giving the final four any chance of kind of changing. And Dave Tickner, mm. a mate of ours off off the internet, although he's also a mate in real life, but let's I call him a mate off the internet. Never met him. Uh, he found out, or he worked out yesterday that if results go as planned, there'll be 11 dead rubbers. Now, this is not good. And even if you don't like the 10-team World Cup, and we very much do not like the 10-team World Cup, even if you think there should be two groups of seven or two groups of eight and there should be a, a super six and there should be any number of different um, elements to the format to make this World Cup mm. better, even if you 
accept all of that and and and, and acknowledge that we're in a ten team format, they've still stuffed it up because. The major realisation over the last couple of weeks has been that Australia-England, Australia-New Zealand uh, and New Zealand-England and New Zealand-India... No, sorry, that's already been... That was a washout. But there is a series of games between the nations who are going to make the Final Four happening at the very death of the tournament. Mm. They're essentially going to have games between prospective semi-finalists where the result doesn't matter. We're going to have games where... Australia are playing, especially. Mm. Why on earth would Mitchell Stark play against England next week if Australia are more or less through? Why would why on earth would he play against New Zealand later in the week mm. when we know he's injury prone? Um, or, or, but also when you know that it's going to give them an extra look at him that will yes. help them prepare to face him in a couple of weeks after that. Oh, that's that's an even better point. Why would you let England get a look at Mitchell Stark at this stage of the tournament when you don't have to? So, had we known what we know, I would say that you would have front-loaded a bunch of those games against the nations who are going to be duking it out earlier on, and it would have meant that games against the seconds here, and let's say in this mm. World Cup, that South Africa, New Zealand, Bangladesh and the West Indies, who have kind of formed the next group, the peloton of sorts, mm. even though they've all been shit-ass except for Bangladesh, um, those games would have meant an awful lot more. So, if England get beaten by Pakistan after Australia have beat them, that England-Pakistan result a really big deal. But due to all the games in between, what happens in Australia-England, given there's no real home ground advantage to speak of, and I'm sure, you know, net run rate and who plays whom will will, will be a conversation in the final three or four days, but but not a week and a half out. But And also it's sort of, it's polishing, you know, it, it's okay, you'd ideally like to play X instead of Y, but it's still, you know, not really up there with just making the finals. I'm, I'm just imagining uh, a universe, this is entirely in my imagination, where Chris Morris has just bowled outside the off stump and Jimmy Neesham slashed it away off the diagonal top edge and been caught at slip oh. and New Zealand are five down. Imagine, imagine a world in which that could be happening. Gosh. So they still need about 100 to win in this world. Uh, speaking, of ti- five down. Well, yeah, speaking of the time travel theme, I love the score in that first innings, 241 for six after 50 overs or whatever it is. Sam Morshead, our colleague from the Cricketer magazine, observed yeah. on Twitter. That should have been in the DeLorean back to 2002 yeah. when that would have been a credible score. Not well, so much in this tournament, but you know. It's at Edgebaston, and it's a tough pitch. You know, we saw, I remember in the Champions Trophy, South Africa made, what, 220, I think, against Pakistan. It's quite hard to get away on that mm, wicket. Mm. It's dodgy, and it's slow, and it holds up. And so South Africa lost a bunch of wickets early and then had this consolidation. And it might be a winning total. It's looking like it might be. But anyway, you'll know when you're listening. Well, you'll know when, you'll know, you will have already found out if you listen to the daily podcast <laughs> that came out before this. <laughs> we'll we'll Fill you in then. <laughs> and then when we talked to Daniel Norcross, that was actually yesterday from today. So it will be three days before the, the Daily catch We had up. to say to him, he, he didn't quite... I don't think Dan's been listening to Nerd Pledge. He's a bit of a... I don't think he's been listening to the show recently or that part of the show. He's like, right, so I'll talk about Rashid Khan's figures. I'm like, no, 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 no. We'll we will you, give you the numbers. We'll give you the numbers. We will tell you what number you're, you're going to ruminate on. Tell you what, he was pretty good at the game. Sure anyway. was. But... Before we get onto that, we, we've we've got this format, which wasn't going to work anyway because it was ten teams. But also, as you say, you, you probably wanted to front load a couple of the likely uh, finalists or the stronger teams so that mm. they could lose against each other, which yes. would keep others in the race as well. So then there'd be more pressure. Say if Australia is playing Bangladesh on the last game needing that win to qualify that makes things a lot different to if they've already banked those qualifying wins and you know the rest of it's just gravy yeah take a game like australia and south africa which is the final game of the group stage right now south africa had to play england and india 
uh, in two up. of their first three games. And that's kind of worked well in terms of the South African narrative. That is, yeah. had they not lost to Bangladesh, they'd be on two wins right now. Uh, and they'd be, you know, there and thereabouts trying yep. to compete for the fourth spot, probably needing to beat Australia in the final game. And, you know, one other win along the way. Mm. Um, that Well, this game, for example, beating New Zealand. But now, even if they do get over the line against... New Zealand today, even if they do win the couple of games they have between times, you know, it probably won't matter if they beat Australia by Mm. that point. So, yeah, it's a structural failing and also an avoidable one. And also, um, you know, overall, it's always a risk when you have one big pool. We've seen it in Big Bash seasons past. We've seen it in IPLs more prominently where when you've got one big group, any number of competitions suffer Mm. from this when the finals are resolved well before the end of the comp. And on this occasion, yeah, if it does go the way we expect, 11 dead rubbers is not great for the competition. Well, 11 dead rubbers is gross if you find it on St Kilda Beach, you know, let alone in (laughs) a high-ranking international sporting competition. This... it seems like there are there are some relatively easy ways to get around this. Um, for instance, the two groups of seven. You have fourteen teams. You have you you have some of your uh, less credentialed teams in, but you know everybody plays six matches against the other six teams in their group, and then say the top three or the top four from that go through. Whether that goes through into a super six or whether that whether the top two play off against each other to qualify for a semi-final and then the losers of that go into a repechage or whether you go straight into quarterfinals, however you want to do it. There are plenty of ways to advance out of that pool to a knockout. But I think a point that a lot of people have made which really resonates with me is you need to have more on the line earlier and going having a semi-final and then a final, it literally means you can almost fluke a World Cup win. You just need a favourable semi-opponent and then one good day in the final and you're there. It's not as difficult as you look at, say, a Football World Cup where you go round of 16, you know, 2-8 to 4-2. to mm-hmm. two. And that sudden death aspect means that there are nerves and emotional investment every step of the way. There's the prospect of dropping out every step of the way. And when you win it, it's, it's this euphoria because you've got to get those four wins in a row. Cricket doesn't have enough teams to do four, but it could yeah. do three. It could have sort of three knockout rounds, quarter semis, finals that make it seem like more of an achievement to have won the World Cup. Yes, there's a few ways of looking at this. They, I, I disagree. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I disagree with the way that you're getting there. So I couldn't agree more about needing to have more on the line early on. And I know we touched on this a few weeks ago, but it's worth going into a bit more detail now we've arrived on this topic. The Super 6 did that. Mm. Now, remember why the Super 6 happened. 96, they were reducing 12 teams back to 8. So not too dissimilar to the 2011 and 15 World Cups where we were reducing it from 14 to 8. They just had two fewer sides. The last two weeks of that tournament, everybody knew, group stage I mean, everybody knew who was going to make the final eight. It wasn't competitive enough. A similar argument could be made about 2015. We all, there was only really one game that truly mattered, or sorry, two. There, were, there was Ireland versus Pakistan on the final day at Adelaide Oval, and then there was England versus Bangladesh, also, as it happens, at the Adelaide Oval. In the absence of those two fixtures, mm. we knew so far out it was all about jostling for who would play who in the in the quarterfinal, and that, to me, didn't make for a particularly stimulating group stage. If you reduce it back to six, though, and it's two groups of seven, it, it achieves a couple of things. From the, from the outset, it is, you know, it is high stakes, 
if you drop a game early on, you could be in strife, especially if you drop a game to one of the teams who are not seeded once and not also in the top three. So if you yep. lose a game to a four, five, six or seven seed, you're in strife, you're in the death spot. And also in terms of the reason why we even went away from that to begin with. So again, a bit of a history lesson. I'm sure a lot of people I'm telling how to suck eggs, but this stuff's easily forgotten. The Super Six worked so well in 2003, notwithstanding the fact that South Africa were eliminated. and yeah, But Kenya's progression and Zimbabwe's progression was due to two forfeits, unfortunately, so it did skew it. But they liked this so much, they moved to a Super 8 in 2007, but they stuffed it up. They, the, way, the way you qualified for the Super 8 was via the group stages, groups four, of four groups of four. And of course, where that fell down was that you have one bad day, like India did against Bangladesh or like Pakistan did against Ireland, and you're out within three games. Yeah. And that, of course, does does havoc to, to TV rights. The beauty of a Super 6 is that, out of two groups of seven, rather, is that if what you're trying to achieve right now in our group stage in 2019 is getting India a minimum of nine games, and let's be blunt, that's exactly what this is all about, is giving India the minimum amount of games where they definitely will be on television – a Super 6 stage means that India's total games before the semi-final would be exactly that. Yep. Six games in the group, three games in the Super 6. They would get their nine games provided they're in the top three teams. And if they weren't and they only played six, well, you know, case sera, sera. You know, I think we can accept that that would be a risk that we're willing to manage on the way through for yeah. the sake of one team's progress in the tournament. And, and just to finish this tangent before we move off it, they did fix the Super 6. People remember the Super 6 in, 2000, in 1999. They go, oh, net run rate played a role and um, you know England missed out after winning three games and losing two. Um, it didn't work as they planned. And that's absolutely all accurate. So they actually fixed it in 2003. The amount of points you carried through from mm. the group stage differed as whether it was a team going through with you or a game that you were playing and beating a team that didn't go through, which meant that you didn't have net run rate playing as big a role. It didn't have that chance thing and you know I think there's a conversation about whether we've outgrown net run rate as a sport anyway not just because no one understands it but we've seen already in this tournament teams who have been trying to bat out their 50 overs and playing some ugly ugly cricket because mm. you, you are better off batting 50 overs through than than being, than being getting bowled, bowled out, out which yeah. is I think in modern cricket not consistent but yeah I, the annoying thing is I reckon they found the model in 03 and and because of what they did in 07 because they liked it so much now we've gone back to 96 Back to the future. To the future. <laughs> that was quite that nice. Was, quite that's nice. Very neat. That tied in well. <laughs> we had an email in from Luke Richardson who suggested a model of it was basically that O seven model of the you know the four groups of four, but then saying if you get knocked out of that, you can go you go into a plate competition um, so that you can, you know if you do have the unlucky <laughs> if India goes out, you can still keep them on play TV the basically. Um, well. <laughs> The, they can play for the, you know, in like indoor soccer or, you know, whatever it yeah. is. You always have that like losers. The like cup for, and the plate. Yeah, you know, you have one, th- one, through, one through four play in a semifinal and a final and a five through eight play in their own little pretend plate thing so they can keep getting the eight bucks off everyone to play each Sunday night. Yeah. This is that. It's like giving India a chance to win the loser premiership. That's pretty much what he's saying. But he's saying if the issue is keeping <laughs> them on TV, might that not be, you know, the way to do it? Because it's basically a, a sort of football World Cup structure, but, um, but, but with this diversionary slipway plate comp for those who fall out too early. I like that. The best model there is, and I'm not going to try and explain it because it's extremely complicated, but Russell Degnan, who uh, tweets under the um, under the handle Idle Summers, he um, 
popped into possibly my Twitter feed. I certainly retweeted it something a couple of weeks ago where there'd be a, a 20 team World Cup with a repper charge and it was very elegant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's great. But I push back against the 20 team World Cup advocates at the moment because I don't think we're quite there yet. But, no. but in 20 years' time, we might be. Yeah. And the way you get there is by having 14 this time, you know, and, and then we see how we go. And it might take 20 years to make it um, 16, 18, and so on. But it's, it's nice to know that, I mean, there is a model which could work really nicely if we want to continue to grow the World Cup and grow the game and you know that expansionary zeal that was there 20 years ago I think we just need to keep the pressure on this World Cup it's too late but you know and four years time in theory is too late but the the advantage of the system that Jeff and I are talking about here is that you only have to add four games to the tournament only four games and it has all these other knock-on benefits like um, you know we talk about reserve days if you're talking about two separate groups, then reserve days maybe become an easier thing to logistically organise. It's not just about you only have to organise half of the tournament to be rearranged rather than the entire thing, the mm. entire carnival, as it would have been when the rain struck last week. Speaking of growth and development, Adam, Cricket Australia have sent us a lovely press release to announce a new relationship with a group called HCL Technologies. I was so confused when this came out. Yesterday, they put out two releases. They put out the first one, kind of like hyping it up, like there's going to be mm. a huge technology announcement and so on. And you know, so you're naturally gravitating. Yep. They, they were, they were oh, selling. You're interested. They said there'd be food and drinks uh, if well, anyone and, was got down to the MCG. And, I think and Marcus was. Harris. He and was, Marcus uh, Harris. You know, who better? Putting food a player up. So the, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I kind of in these situations, putting yeah. my former press sec hat on, um, the CA's um, media advisor who was put. I'm, I'm sure he was doing a hell of a job trying to yeah. um, trying to spin something that is fundamentally not particularly interesting. Well, thus not, getting a player out. Not many people know that Marcus Harris was actually involved in some of the early discoveries that uh, helped for the invention of radar and of Wi-Fi. <laughs> no, sorry, that was Hedy Lamar. actually. The, <laughs> sorry, the um, Hungarian-born film actress Hedy Lamar during the First Second World War, but very easily confused with Marcus Harris, aggressive left-hander she was. Um, but nonetheless, you know, who, who better than Marcus Harris to talk you through a big tech development? I kind of wondered once we got the subsequent release, which I'm, I think you're about to talk about in greater depth, how Marcus would have explained <laughs> what it was. Because, I mean, you and I, I mean, without wanting to put too fine a point on it, I went to uni for a fairly long time and so did you. I haven't got a fucking clue, having read that release, <laughs> what a word of it meant. And I did not have a Scooby. Um, I, I, I subsequently read Dan Bredig's Twitter feed, which gave me it in a nutshell, which is... Um, Basically, the company, a Cricket Australia's new tech partner. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. This I'm is not, a surprise. Well, I'm just. Oh, I'm adding. Oh, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> am I ruining it by telling you what, what the, the pricey of it? Would that would that be? No, you know what? I'll leave it there. They're their new tech partner. Hmm. You know, but you can tell people what it, what you know. Well, I just thought, go I for th- gold. I just thought that um, there's a bit. At the end of this press release where HCL tells you about themselves. Oh, know? right. They've had the CA. Oh, yes, bit. I did read this CA's bit. done their bit. The repetition in the first sentence was something else, please. Yeah, but, but then they're like, no, no, why don't you, you're at the group meeting. Hi, my name's Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about you? And, and HCL stands up and clears their throats. And I thought, I, I want to read this to, to our listeners, but I wanted to read it with the Ode to Sean Marsh music. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put my feet up on the bench here for this one. Because I think this fits uh, beautifully. HCL Technologies is a leading global technology company that helps global enterprises reimagine and transform their businesses through digital technology transformation. (laughs) Now, I just want to be clear that that says this is a company whose name has technology in it, then explains that it's a technology company, and then explains that it helps transform Transform technology using transformation. (laughs) One of the three best ways to transform something. Please continue. HCL 
operates out of 44 countries and has consolidated revenues of US $8.6 billion for financial year ended 31st March 2019. Okay, point two. Which financial year ends in March? <laughs> Who has a financial year ending in March? Oh, you've got to get in for the EOFY sale that's traditionally the end of June because that's when a financial year ends. Do they just make up their own? Just, just quarterly, can you say, oh, this financial year ends in September? I think the financial year here might end not in June, as in the UK, but all the same, if if it is a an Australian-based press release and using that jargon, I agree, that is going to confuse people. It's confused you, clearly. It's confused. It's all confusing me. Keep going. Just wait. Go on. Go on. HCL focuses on providing an integrated portfolio of services underlined by its Mode 123 growth strategy. That's a good sequence of numbers, 123. Mode 1 encompasses the core services in the areas of applications, infrastructure, BPO and engineering and R&D services, leveraging dry ice trademark autonomics to transform clients' businesses and IT landscape, making them lean and agile, the ideal summer body. Mode 2 focuses on experience-centric and outcome-oriented integrated offerings of digital and analytics, IoT Works trademark, cloud-native services, and cybersecurity and GRC services to drive business outcomes and enable enterprise digitalization. Mode 3 strategy is ecosystem-driven, creating innovative IP partnerships to build products and platforms business. That's not a typo. HCL leverages its global network of integrated co-innovation labs and global delivery capabilities to provide holistic multi-service delivery in key industry verticals. With 137,965 professionals from diverse nationalities, HCL focuses on creating real value for customers by taking relationships beyond the contract. Oh, Oh, bravo, bravo. Good gracious. One, if you have nearly 140,000 employees, of course they're going to be from diverse nationalities. You'd have to be making a very specific and racist (laughs) attempt to hire that many people not from diverse nationalities. Oh, dear me. Secondly, Adam. Okay, please. By taking relationships beyond the contract, this basically just sounds like the uh, plot synopsis for a film in which a hitman falls in love with his target. (laughs) (laughs) And hijinks ensue. <laughs> You've taken the relationship beyond the contract. Oh, oh you, I, I, when I sent you this media release this morning, I said this, I, behind the behind the curtain a bit. I read this this morning in, in the cop before we jumped on the train to wherever it is we are right now. And I said, Jeff, you probably should have a read of this. This could be quite funny for the podcast. I didn't expect you to spend several hours making a bit out of it. I'm glad you have though. <laughs> I'm glad what you have. What the fuck does any of that mean? <laughs> how, and how about the quote? I, mean, I just want to. I just want to. Like, I'm not going to read it with the Sean Marsh music. But um, how's this from the quote from the, <laughs> the 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 executive vice president and country manager? Blah 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 blah. Organisations worldwide who are exploring technology platforms that can scale existing value chains into ecosystem centric business models. What the fuck is going on? You've got to centre the ecosystem. All right, <laughs> centre the ball. If you've got to, integ- don't bomb it long. Centre it. If you have to integrate key industry verticals, it's important to have a holistic multi-service delivery to those verticals. You can't have singular service <laughs> delivery to a key industry vertical. This is Everybody. basic. 
If you've been saying it all along on the final word, you've got to get your industry verticals right. If you fuck up your verticals, you end up horizontal. That's what we say here on this final word. Do you know what it actually is after all that? Oh, I told you what it is. I think I have, have I? No. I was going to read out Bruno's tweet. Basically, it, it's, it's the back end of... It's the back end of their website. They're rebuilding the website. They're rebuilding the website. <laughs> <laughs> they're rebuilding the app and rebuilding the website. And they're rebuilding my cricket. And if oh. it, and if they go about it in as convoluted a way as it took them to write, someone had someone got paid to write those words. A person got money, and I read them for free. Yeah. I took about an hour that's to a, read. That's them. a good point. They have comms people somewhere yeah. whose job it is is to take obviously quite complicated jargon and turn it into publicly accessible messaging. How's this happened? It just, it's one of the great PR fuck-ups, really, more than it is. It's not really... See- Again, I want to I want to double down on my earlier comment. It's not the CA bloke's fault. The guy who's done this, he's done the best he can. Yeah. Getting a player out to talk to the media. <laughs> I gather only a couple of them showed up. They probably thought, what's going on here? But, the you know, that, that is a hard sell for them. But all the same... I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we've had this experience. They still, they still put it. They still, someone still hit Control C, Control V to pop that in this in the CA release, <laughs> and, and didn't call the company up and say, "Have you guys realised this is complete bullshit? Like unadulterated, like Biff Tannen is in the middle of it, kind of bullshit." <laughs> manure. I hate manure. Uh, speaking of manure, the West Indies were pretty shit ass. So the women's team they came to play England. They got thrashed three 0 It was a a bit of a warm up for the England players to take on Australia oh. in the Ashes. But what has happened to the West Indies they women's are, team? They are dreadful. I watched the West Indies beat England in the World T20 in St Lucia last year mm. and it was as exciting an atmosphere as I've been at in any game of cricket. It was packed out. It was brilliant. Yep. They they did a lap of honour um, after winning that game uh, to put England in a tough spot. Mm. And... They were so good, and we know they're, they're best players on the domestic T20 circuit from the Big Bash League and the KSL the last few years. They are up there with the very best players in the world. Yet, yep. for some reason, in 50-over cricket, they've been a laughing stock for years. They they were a joke at the World Cup in 2017, mm. and England, I mean, it's, it, it, they're uncompetitive. Yeah. It, there's still a fairly big gap to be made up between some of the teams in women's cricket and the probably the, the group of six we would probably generously say at the moment yep. usually I consider West Indies in that group of six mm. that, that is they're above Pakistan they're above Sri Lanka and they're above Bangladesh yep. sort of in, and the others sort of sit uh, in addition to them as far as the, the nine teams that regularly play each other uh, yep. in, in women's cricket but the West Indies are back with the others now. As far as 50-over competition is concerned, they don't deserve to be with the other six. I don't know how this has happened. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't have a chance when they go up against top teams. And obviously there's financial disparity and so on. But, you know, I was there in 2016 when they won the World T20 in India and they were it's sensational. They were, I mean, Hayley Matthews innings at the top, Stefani Taylor batting with her, their bowling, their fielding, they were on it. They were They were all over it. And then you saw them in, and they made the 50 over World Cup final in 2013 yeah, yeah. as well, playing pretty good cricket. 2017 here in the Women's World Cup, the 50 over stuff, they were appalling. Like, they did not look like a shadow of the same team. And a couple of years later, it's not its not that that was a dip, it's that that's where they are now. Yeah, they sacked the coach last year and brought Gus Lagie. I interviewed Gus Lagie about it at the time. And look, they, again, they, they felt like they were onto something last year at the World T20. Of course, they ended up getting knocked out by Australia on a disgraceful pitch in Antigua. That Viv Richard Stadium there, they should knock that down and move it back to the wreck because uh, it's a shocker. But anyway, mm. they were probably favourites going into the semi again. Well, you know, maybe not favourites, but on home... 
on a home ground, sold out venue, mm. semi final day. I thought, and Australia, Australia pissed it in, and and really the, the West Indies haven't recovered at all. But I, I guess the, the positive here is that England are going well. I was a little bit worried about the Women's Ashes a few months ago. I don't really, I mean, I, the England side are, are the defending World Cup champions, and of course the last Women's Ashes was drawn. But I was a little bit worried that the gap might have been growing too quickly at the moment I thought mm. I felt that Australia were just going too well and it might not be a competitive series but uh, England are going nicely Amy Jones is one to watch in this Women's Ashes series spoke to her a couple of weeks ago um, she's yet to crack the ton but she consistently is now making somewhere between 50 and 100 um, Sarah Taylor's back Heather Knight made runs a couple of weeks ago Nat Siver made runs as well so they're ticking over pretty nicely in the lead up to the Women's Ashes Australia arrive in the country on Saturday this week they have couple of warm-up games in Loughborough the week after against the England Academy in 50-over cricket. Then they play the three Women's Ashes one day as the first tour in Leicestershire on the 2nd and 4th of July. Then that finishes up that leg of it in Canterbury on the 7th. Then we have a warm-up game for the Test match, the four-day Test match in Taunton after the Men's World Cup final finishes. And then we have three T20s to round it out. And they're sticking with the, the same point system for the multi-format mm. multi system, which I kind of think that's a bit of a shame. The one thing about the multi format point system is is that it doesn't recognise that 50 over cricket and 20 over cricket is different and I don't know whether they've quite got that balance right so there is always the chance of having a draw which I, I don't know whether you should yeah. have a draw in this system it's probably a way of making it so it ends on an odd number yeah if it's sort of three you know three five and two rather than two and four in terms of the points yeah, i think we went thing. through it didn't we three five and two is the I'm most sure. elegant way of solving uh, it we did it a couple of years ago i'm on sure the we i'm sure we worked it out but also <laughs> if you win a t20 should that be worth as much as winning a, a 50 over game that kind of thing yeah you know, given yeah, that they're exactly. more they're more prone to freak results and and so forth um in a in a land of my imagination Colin de Grundholm has just smashed a six over deep square leg and he's keeping New Zealand in it. Is he going to do the job for them? I haven't watched for the last half an hour. He might. Uh, well, Kane Williamson's still out there trending towards 100. So um, de Grundholm I like because he's the only person in cricket who deserves to be actually called the big man because that's literally <laughs> what his name means. Um, the big it's, unit. It's much more sophisticated. Oh, he's a big unit. I, I don't know what French for big unit is. Uh, <laughs> le, le, le unit grand. Uh, what is big dukes in French? Could you... <laughs> Google Translate, <laughs> put up the big dukes. <laughs> ah, le plonger, le duc grand. Oui, ça va. Um, we also, one thing we've noticed while we've been over here, because we've watched a few games on television as we are today, we haven't been able to get to literally every game. We have got to most of the games, but some of them we've had to watch on TV. And when you watch them on TV, you realise that even though they're on a, a Murdoch-backed uh, channel that, costs a lot of money to have they still plaster it full of ad breaks and every single ad break they have they plaster it with betting ads literally every single one and there are at least six maybe eight or ten different companies that all advertise on the same match all saying no no give your money to us and it is at a level of saturation that i don't think i've seen even in australia yeah, this is a conversation we've had on the final word so many times now and we said we would keep a watching brief on where the marketing budgets of these betting shops were going to end up in the World Cup. Just to recap, the ICC don't have a betting partner, which is a great thing. They realise mm. that um, linking cricket to gambling with all the problems of betting and the influence, the pernicious influence of, of this kind of t tainted money uh, mm. on the game has been such a problem um, historically that they've still they stayed well away. And you know, having spoken to people at the ICC, they are... You know, they, they are not fans of the way that Cricket Australia are deeply, deeply in bed with one of the, the betting companies who we, we talked about 
on the show last year, for mm. example. But this is next level, uh, and that's not to say that what's happening on CA's website isn't next level as well. It is, but this uh, this wall to wall coverage on Sky, I didn't expect it. I've had Sky cricket for a couple of years over here, and and you know, but I perhaps I'm more attuned to realizing what's going on now. And it's everywhere. And without sort of giving a laundry list of every organisation who has betting ads covered across their World Cup coverage, but it would be harder to find an organisation who hasn't said yes Mm. than has has said no. And I understand that um, media organisations are under more financial pressure than ever before, but the same conversation was said about advertising tobacco brands a generation ago, especially when it came to cricket. The, the, The nightmare scenario was that once you make it illegal to um, have fags on cricket coverage, then where will we ever find the money to mm. fund the game? And funnily enough, they found a way around that because yeah. markets are nimble and, and this is a very attractive product and any number of people wouldn't mind being associated with their brand and, and a sport like this. So I hope that conversation is steered in that way because, yeah, like I say, there are you know, everywhere you look, whether it's podcasts, whether it's articles in newspapers, whether it's, I mean, everywhere you look, yeah. it, it is sponsored content and so much of it is from betting shops. I can't believe it. Yeah, and I mean, it's probably popping up on places that we write for. It's, you know, we don't even necessarily know it's there because it's so pervasive. But I've spoken to a few people in the UK about it and they've said this volume, this intensity is actually pretty normal. And and a couple of people have said it's actually even worse during the football season. They said you'll see a gambling ad every ad break in the cricket, but there'll also be an ad for a car or something like that, whereas mm. during a football match, it's literally just entirely gambling. It's just bet, 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 bet. So it might be a cultural thing. Um, someone had a, a fairly insightful comment to, to me that that uh, the Brits and the Australians seem to uh, find things more troubling in each other's cultures than our own, and, and that's I think that's true to an extent. There are things we see that are not familiar to us, and that level of saturation isn't, Whereas, but over here it seems like it's become normalised and nobody even thinks that's unusual. Yeah, well, that's, that's the word, isn't it? It is normalised because there is so much of it, and I don't seem to hear many people talking about it, and there isn't... I, I don't know. Like I, I, Ed Cowan responded to something I put on Twitter about this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said the easiest... The easiest conversation for mm. an organisation should be like, no, thank you. And again, kind of behind the curtain a bit with you and I, but I received a, 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 a an overture from a betting right. company recently for us. And again, I'm not trying to sound pure as a driven snow here. I'm not trying to pretend that we are more than we aren't. But I mean, we could do with extra cash. Yep. Anyone could do with extra cash. We run our own business. Yep. But at some point, you've got to draw the line, don't you? Yeah. And, and, and I just wish that more organisations took that approach than sort of took the money and then worried about the consequences or, or worse still, didn't even consider the, the consequences, mm. which are considerable. And, I mean, I've looked into it a little bit with a piece I wrote a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm sure I don't know a, a tenth of the, the damage that having young people... Uh, you know, I, I suppose I guess the, the, this is a bit of a gallows humour here, but I, I guess the one advantage of nobody actually watching this cricket World Cup on television, yeah, um, is that I suppose not that many kids are, are seeing the ads, but they'll be seeing it elsewhere. That's yeah, for sure. They'll be seeing it on any other sport that they're watching, yeah. apparently. And, and there's an excellent example of the pervasiveness that we've had from Australia. Apologies to Great Britain listeners, but this this carries across. Uh, an Australian rules footballer named Jaden Stevenson has just been picked up for betting on games that he was playing in. An, an, extra, an extraordinary... Like, betting on good things, <laughs> betting on him to win and him to kick goals and so on. But nonetheless, it's yeah. very much a no-no. It's but, a serious thing which I couldn't stop laughing at this morning, but please but, go on. But I think the thing that the thing that is funny about it is that the AFL, the Australian Football League, have been 
as, as enthusiastic as anybody in raking in the gambling cash in recent years. They love it. They have live odds TV shows. They throw to. They have their telecast partners throwing to betting shops every five yep. minutes to get to get the odds. And the the absolute fucking cherry on top of this particular cake of shit was that they had a video of Stevenson giving his press conference where he was apologising for having gambled, and at the end of it, it rolled onto a betting ad. The sponsor for their video content had the post roll for the video of a player apologising for betting. It's and you've got a 22-year-old or whatever who's grown up for the last 20 years being steeped in this culture that you bet, you gamble, football and betting are intertwined. And people are saying, oh, no, that's well, he's an adult, he could have made a better decision. And he could have, but he's been grown up he's grown up in a culture where this is what you do and this yeah. is what football is it's a means to bet the first time we really talked about this on the show was with Jared Whiteley last year when we had him on on the mm. podcast for a long form interview and again I'm paraphrasing I can't remember exactly what he said but the guts of it was that when we were growing up and when he was growing up it was about tipping mm. for the football it was right. about picking the winner now it's about something completely different and I don't want a situation where in 20 years' time or even sooner, given the pervasiveness of this, is that that culture of, of backing a team in your footy tipping and wanting them to win accordingly is completely gone and it's replaced by this idea of, well, what have you got? What odds did you get it for? Can you lay it? Can mm. you lay it? Can you get better odds now? We're not trying to say don't bet, but there's got to be some balance. And I think that, you know, yeah, football's gone the wrong way. Over here, television's gone the wrong way. And I'm desperately fearful that cricket mm. in Australia, and not least from the governing body, is heading in the same direction. And it's not too late. It's not too late to turn the tide back. Yep. It's not too late to say no. It's not too late to acknowledge you made a mistake, show a bit of contrition, and to start playing a role in, in fixing this problem. There's not too late to find better revenue streams than this. The, the problem is when people double down, isn't it? They go, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with it. You're all a bunch of virtue-signalling wankers, and they just they dig their heels in. Mm. Uh, We've we got to have a better conversation about this. Yeah. And, again, if you want to bet, that's fine. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be comfortable with a world in which uh, a gambler needs to go and find the means to gamble rather than having it come to them. You know, that's the fundamental difference. If you want to bet, go and chase it up, go and find out where to do it rather than having it come to you. Yeah, and the same, it's exactly the same conversation as, as tobacco advertising, right? Yeah. I mean, no one is saying you can't access cigarettes readily, um, very easily. It's just that you have to go to the counter and buy them yourself. You don't mm. get bombarded with commercials because they're banned. They're illegal because there's been an acceptance over a long period of time that, they, yep. that, that it is harmful. And if the people who say, well, you're grown up, you can make your own decision, if advertising didn't work, they wouldn't spend billions of dollars doing it. It works, and, and that's where we are. It's quite a weighty topic, and, I'm, and I know people probably get shitty with us talking about it all the time, but, I mean, what, what, what's the alternative? I think, it, yeah, it's one of the pressing issues in sport at the moment, and uh, there does need to be pressure on these organisations to, to back down and to start doing the right thing. But you mentioned the Jared Waitley interview. We had a great interview a couple of weeks ago with Jimmy Neesham, so thank you for all the feedback on that. There's really, really heartening stuff to hear from people um, who got something out of him, but being willing to be so open and honest about his own life. Yeah, I, I love talking to Jimmy. I really regret that we didn't sort of... It's our fault it was only 20 minutes. It should have been a lot longer than that, and I think we should do something more with him uh, down the track. Amazing response that people have had, both to Jimmy Neesham and Glenn Maxwell, talking about vulnerability and, and other topics that, yeah, you don't normally hear from professional sports people, and he was outstanding. Other good news news that happened in the final word world is that Anthony Costa of League Tees has got the Maxwell for <laughs> Australia t-shirts up 
Uh, we're officially, we've officially sold out. We've officially got merch. We, uh, we knew it was out there a couple of weeks ago, but I've started receiving photos in my Twitter feed of people wearing them watching Glenn Maxwell bat, which is inc- extremely gratifying. Um, Anthony Costa is a lovely man who I don't think he realises this, but we've known each other for a really, really long time, and he and I never actually talked about this, but I'm pretty sure he's the same Anthony Costa that ran a, a, a rival Young Labor faction to me when we were teenagers. Um, <laughs> but he's made the, the League T's final word T-shirt which is the Bartlett for America West Wing um, Leo McGarry napkin that he gives to mm. Jed Bartlett to convince him to run for the presidency in that wonderful fictional world that is the West Wing. And about five years ago, I, I, I thought we should have a similar movement around Glenn Maxwell and, and, and mock something up on, I don't know, probably Microsoft Paint. And, and, we've, and, like and we've returned to it time and time and time and time again. Uh, and now, uh, now it is on the front of a T-shirt, including the, the West Wing Iconography, would you call it? Or the font, sorry. The yeah. font at the bottom of the page, yeah. which is quite, quite a nice touch there from Anthony, who does great work. If you, um, if you saw his Taylor Harris T-shirt, which he got in some trouble earlier this year about, uh, he, he's, uh, he's doing great things and um, we're glad, so glad to be partnering with them. So leaguetees.com.au is where you can get the T-shirt to search the final word, I guess, and you'll find it. it. It's, it's all on, over our feeds. It's on leaguetees.com.au, L-E-A-G-U-E-T-E-E-S, if that makes any sense to you and good to see that the AFL got out there and uh, took harsh legal action to stop someone wearing a shirt with Taylor Harris on it but the betting companies are fine (laughs) on you go no worries at all we've got another big interview coming up next week we're not going to tell you who it is because we may have to write something mean about them in the interim and they'll refuse to talk to us but uh, hopefully it's going to come together next week yeah I'm mindful that these things can fall through but nonetheless thank you so much to Kookaburra thank you Kookaburra for organising it Uh, that's that's your hit that's your clue but it's a, a huge global name if we pull it off we'll be thrilled to bring that to you next week while we're talking about things that are in the future jeff we have um live shows in the offing soon we haven't quite got to the point where we can promote them because well we're working 18 hour days and it's hard yakka but in short there will be a london live show two days before the lord's test match which is the 12th of august at hampstead cricket club my old club they're going to put us up for the night it's a beautiful beautiful club one mile from lords up the slope so the same slope from lords you get bowling you get at hampstead as well right. uh it's two stops away on the jubilee line there'll be thousands of australians in town i'm sure for the lord's test that sort of quadrennial pilgrimage Mm. of sorts and other people who have obviously listened to the pod so we'll have some stuff up about that soon but the goal is to have one in london uh, at the start of the series one in london at the end of the series south of the river the night before the oval test and then two up north the night before old trafford and the night before leeds so Mm -hmm. if you've got any suggestions for us about where we might find a venue that might want to look after us for the night and be paid in well you know basically over the bar in terms of what you guys will buy if you rock up do sing out it's yeah. going to be fun somewhere somewhere in manchester somewhere in leeds that's what we're looking for the uh, the london end of things is sorted so you can pop the first one in your diary that uh, 12th of august is it 12th of August is the two days out before the Lord's yep. Test. So yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to do Birmingham because it clashes with the Women's Ashes and that comes first. But after that, uh, we're, we're very much down for doing four live shows. They're a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of special guests. The people I've spoke to already are dead keen to do it. So if you want to be part of that, the one we did in Melbourne, which was a sellout in January, was one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done in my life. It was a sellout and we are sellouts. <laughs> Get yourself some merch and uh, we'll be back with Daniel Norcross right after this. Yeah. 
Jeff, 1932 was the summer of Bodyline, and the Australians needed courage to face Harold Larwood. And we're still talking about it 80-whatever years later. We're not mad. We're really not mad. We've never been mad. Don't know what it's like to be mad. No, don't have a chip on our shoulder on the bed at all. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, that same year, another young Australian showed courage by mortgaging his home during the Great Depression to start a property company, which must have been quite the ballsy move. Um, yeah, I mean, initially I was like, uh, meh, about that line, and then I thought, actually, that is kind of terrifying. Um, <laughs> probably worse than playing cricket. <laughs> Albert Victor Jennings was his name. He wanted to provide affordable and quality housing in areas where people actually wanted to live. AV Jennings, the company that bears his name, is still doing that today. It's very much a name of the times, isn't it? You wouldn't you wouldn't meet a lot of Albert Victors kicking around. Actually, you might. Maybe it, maybe it's like due for a hipster resurgence, and there'll be. I was going to say, I reckon there's plenty of there's plenty of young boys out there, or maybe young girls for that matter, called Albert Victor. Uh, I, I know an I know a young Albie, so maybe these names are come back into fashion. Av Jennings is certainly in fashion, and that's why they're one of the most trusted names in Australian house. <laughs> oh, what a segue! <laughs> so smooth, seamless. He's like butter. <laughs> So go to avjennings.com.au. Go there now and check them out for yourself. I mean, if you need a house, probably don't go there if you don't need a house. Like if you're sweet for houses. No, if you're sweet for houses, you're probably good. But but if you need one, have a look. This is The Final Word coming to you from The Leiterman, a, a lovely restaurant down by Regent Canal in the middle of London. We've got together with friend of the show, Dan Norcross, and we're going to try a new spin on the Nerd Pledge numbers, Adam. Yes, we, we kind of felt that it was time to bring someone else into the relationship. Often things can get stale if you're doing the same thing with the same person every day as we have throughout the course of the World Cup. And Dan, whilst also doing something with us every day in a, in a trio of sorts, we thought that we might bring him into this theatre as well, and he's perfectly suited to it, that the Nerd Pledge game is... To say it's in Dan's wheelhouse would be one of the greatest understatements I've ever made in my life. This guy spends his life citing numbers next to cricketing feet, so it's as though we're, we're, decking, we're, we're stacking the deck in our favour this week. Mm. I'm going to call it cosy, warm place. This is, this is definitely in my hitting zone. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that it's pissing down with rain. It is pissing down with rain just outside, but we're undercover um, and we hope you're enjoying the ambience of this restaurant environment. Okay, so what we're going to do is try... A new version. Now, Nerd Pledge is the game where people jump on the Patreon page where they can subscribe financially to the podcast. And instead of just putting in a, a normal number, like a $2, they put in a 246 or something like that. And then we have to guess what the 246 means. Of course, we don't always know, but sometimes we know because, uh, you know, of course, we're experts. But I'm going to set this one. up. I know that one. You do know that yeah, one. Yeah, that's Jeffrey Boycott's uh, two, a very slow scoring 246, after which... He was, uh, it was dropped from the next game because he scored 246 in five sessions against India. Fair enough. And, uh, and that's exactly why we've got you involved, Dan. So we're going to pit you two against each other but also against the audience. I'm going to give you the numbers. I might help you out a bit along the way. If you can get it, you get a point. If you impress me with your repartee surrounding it, I might award bonus points. And if you can't get it, the audience get a point. Uh, so we're going to see I how we I can't believe get I've it. subjected myself to this against the one person in the cricketing media who... Who, who would who, he'd be the if we were putting it in a bracket he'd be the top seed but anyway let, let's push on in any case and we, we'll see how we go we're going to do this chronologically and we'll see how many we get through in the time we have the okay. first is a number that I think is familiar Adam I think we've seen this before uh, and it's 203 and it's from Claire Claire has signed up on hello Claire thank you Claire hi Claire 203 I could do that one what's that that's Dennis Amos's score in the 1976 <laughs> test match the fifth <laughs> test match of the oval between England and the West Indies 
uh, Mashed England lost and uh, Tony Gregg had to grovel to the crowd at the end of it. That's Dennis Amos. Dennis Amos did make a 203. There are a few other options for 203, Adam. One of them is very much in your wheelhouse. Yes, yeah, Slasher Mackay was the 203rd Test Cricketer for Australia. I have yep. that prompt in front of me. 203 very much in my wheelhouse. I think about a Victorian batsman. A Victoria, Brad, Hodge. A, Brad Hodge. Brad Hodge. Brad Hodge in, uh, in, at the Wacker in uh, 2005 against South Africa. It was like three tests later, he was banished from the side, never to return, so I, I don't mind that at all. For Damien Martin, who was averaging 14 in the Shield season at that time, <laughs> if I recall correctly. Matt, Matty Hayden also made 203 in India in the in oh, 2001, yeah, of course. the That's famous series. Innings. The sweeping innings. But I think just just for the unlikeliness of it actually being Dennis Amos, I'm going to decide it was Dennis Amos <laughs> for the purposes of this exercise. <laughs> Great start. Uh, this is from a very good friend of the show, Jane Fry, who initially came in with a normal sort of $5, but she's bumped it up. She's gone to 7.33, and of course if you follow Jane on Twitter, you'll know she's very, very enamoured with the New Zealand cricket team, and I suspect that that might help you be guided towards what seven three three might mean. That well, could they've, be they've, the score. They've, they've, they've not scored seven hundred and thirty-three runs accumulated uh, in in years. I wouldn't have thought. No, but they may have when Brendan so. McCullum made his triple hundred, and they were coming down for they were, they were five for Soddle, and McCullum made three hundred. I think it's a bowling figure. Seven four three three. Tim Southey. Tim Southey in the last World Cup against England. Exactly, oh, that is lovely. exactly it. <laughs> one, one all. Gets in. Yeah. Seven, three, The swing three. king. He's the Lennon to the Trent Bolts McCartney when it comes to swinging it around corners. Oh, well, he's been kicked out of the band of late and he's, he's yeah. watching from the sidelines. Uh, coming up next from James McAuliffe, one, two, six. What might one, two, six mean? Ooh. And one, I'm, I'm going to throw out for a hint that it, is, it has a strong connection to the show and some of the themes of the show. 126. <laughs> a strong connection to the show and the themes of the One, show. 126. Uh, well, it could be a Glenn Maxwell 100 in international cricket. It could be the Glenn Maxwell ton at Yorkshire, which Does I think it was a bit more than that, actually. It's, on, it's on not reflection. a Glenn Maxwell number. Okay, it, I just think the relationship to the show, that's the first yeah, thing that comes so to mind. What, who else has a strong relationship to the show? Shane Robert Watson, who made 126 at Mahali in 2010. Correct. <laughs> he did. Uh, Shane Watson. And then was criticised by Michael Clark for batting too slowly, much like Jeffrey Boyd. I, I once tried to work out how many people had seen Shane Watson make a test century. and It's not that many because his 100 at Melbourne was on day four with about 18,000 people there. His 100 at the Oval in 2013 was about, you know, there might have been 20,000 at the Oval. All up, it works out to be roughly 50,000 people across the four tonnes, but there's no attendance figure for Mahali yeah. in that test match on Crick Info, so I'll never truly know. How many have seen two? I've seen two. Perth. Perth in 2013 and, yeah. and the Oval. Well, they, you'll be a you have a very small group of people have seen <laughs> too. He, his teammates and you, maybe a couple of press box colleagues. A very fortunate is, group of is people. Is that also the the total number of unsuccessful referrals that Watto, <laughs> the wet-eyed Watto, no, has over the about, years? It was only twelve or thirteen, <laughs> I think. So it's maybe a, a, a one tenth of that number. Uh, our next one comes in from uh, so thanks James McAuliffe for that thank one thank you James I should also quickly thank a couple of the people who didn't put in nerd pledges but just put in normal ones Mark O'Sullivan who sounds like a very solid character we had an anonymous that's our second O'Sullivan to donate our second O'Sullivan a double O'Sullivan that's very rare that's fortuitous it's like <laughs> half of a four leaf clover once we get the fourth O'Sullivan fortune will smile upon us but we had our first anonymous one from a, 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 a listener who didn't want to be identified hello you know who you are thank I know you. who you are but I'm not going to tell anyone else who you are and Do I know who they are? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. And we had another one in from Dave, who I suspect might have some Mark Latham um, connection somewhere oh, along right. the line. We, well, he, well, he is a he is a great man. Uh, why don't you tell him who it is? I don't think he'd mind. He well, loves the show. I, I, I think. Well, if you jump on Twitter and t- type Mark Latham 
Dirty Polo, you will find this gentleman. Mark Latham, Dirty Polo, Prime Minister's 11, yep. three years ago. Dirty Polo? Shorts. And yes, oversized so shorts as well. This sounds like some kind of yeah. youthful, kind of pornographic type. No, it sounds like the blood in the water match in the 56 Olympics. <laughs> That's the only thing anybody knows about water polo. That is, yes. you, you've just hit the cliche button there big time. The, the proxy. Can, you, can people just mention water polo without mentioning blood in the water just once? No, it's the only thing that ever happened. <laughs> now, didn't Australia win a medal in 2000? I seem to remember cheering yes, an Australian last second, team. Yes, last in, uh, second of the, uh, of the water polo final, they, they scored the, the winning that is goal. a goal. Mm. I think they are goals. That is yeah. impressive. Yeah. So it's mostly in the um, in the Balkans, isn't it? Croatia, Serbia. Yep. I was I was actually in Croatia for the European Championship semi-finals. Really? And I was at a I, I was watching the Croatia v Serbia water polo okay. semi-final. It's a, it's a big uh, rivalry that one. It was quite scary. Mm. I, I I didn't stay for the end. Let's put it okay. that way. Yeah. <laughs> wise, very very wise. <laughs> Whose team are you on? I was for Croatia. I have a sister-in-law from Croatia. I, I and tend I like to be as well. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a long sliver of land, school. and there are no mosquitoes in, in Croatia that I right. could to speak of. So, big fan, big fan, as Trump would say, big fan of Croatia. It's the greatest, it's the best one on the Adriatic coast. It's definitely the best. <laughs> the pride of South Australia, the mighty Adelaide Crows. <laughs> uh, our next number comes in from Pushka Godbole. And God bole bless you. Two forty-one. Two forty-one. Oh, mm, is it hitting your? Is it hitting your? Oh, two forty-one. Your special zones. I'm going to say that Pushkar God bole is, is uh, of Indian descent, but has an interest in Australian cricket. So there may be a place where this Was crosses over. Uh, hang on, Indian He's from descent. Pakistan. Oh yeah, Indian well, descent. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Let's take the clues that Jeff's saying down and work this out. So two forty-one, an Indian score against Australia, possibly an Indian score against Did Australia. Sachin Tendulkar make two forty-one. It's Sydney in two thousand and seven, eight, exactly eight, nine. Yes. Yes. No, two thousand and three, wasn't it? Oh no, yeah, that one. I was there. It's the Steve Orr match. It's the it, it's, a, it's actually the the VVS Laxman match. It's the it's the everyone thinks about Calcutta in two thousand and one, but Laxman's best Test innings was the hundred and seventy he made when Tendulkar made his two for one. Watch the highlights, which are on YouTube. I've watched it several times. It's in my special personal collection. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Adam Collins, the surprise leader at three one. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought? Yeah, that? they're quite they're quite Aussie centric. These questions, aren't they? They are a bit. A lot of yeah. our listeners are Australian, but. Yeah, I'm uh, glad Dennis Amos has got a shout. What Otherwise, I'm going to tell you, though, is the next one is not Aussie-centric. Uh, Uh-oh. It, it is from an Australian, Marcus Westbury, friend of the show, White Thank Line you, Wireless Caller. Hello, Marcus. Okay. It is 267, and it does not have anything to do with Australia. 267. It does... It has something to do not with World Cups, but with someone who was prominent in World Cups. Okay, someone so... Someone is prominent in World Cups. So, Imran Khan. Viv Richards... Uh, going back. We're going back, are we? We're going back in We're time? going back about 25 years. So the 20, 92 World 20, Cup. 20, that's, no, that, that'd be 90, 96. That's 27 years. 96, 96 World Cups. That's, that's 23, 23 years, years, yeah. years ago. Okay. 267. Let's keep working through this. Now, it's not a number from that World Cup, but it involves no, 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 someone no. who was in that World Cup. That's like we've seen Line of Duty. Dan and I have watched. We know how to get a clue in and yeah. keep, keep working right. through it. Okay, so 267. Is it, is it run scored? It is an inning. It is a, it is a, it is a high score. Uh, it's a high player. score of a player who did score well in the 96 World player, Cup, right? But not in, obviously, I've an given ODI. you a lot of hints now. Come on. So who did well in the 96 World Cup? A batsman? Oh, uh, Jaya Surya? No. Uh, smaller than that. Aravinda De Silva. That's it. 
Aravinda da Silva. Aravinda da Silva. It's Aravinda da Silva's highest test score. Well, that's what I'm assuming it is. Of course, Marcus 267 could mean anything, but I have decided mm. that's it, what it is. He's coming can up I, in... Can I just apologise for channeling my inner Tony Gregg there? No. Smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Sorry, I, I apologise. What I was actually signalling was that you were close, not that it was a smaller batsman. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I would impersonate uh, Tony Gregg talking about the Shrinkins, but I'm sure it would get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, um, Aravinda De Silva keeps coming up in podcasts. I'm trying to get him on our 99 one at the moment. Uh, he obviously has got a relationship with Tay Linders. They talk about him every week. And now he's come up on the final word, the, the Holy Trinity. So thanks, Marcus. Uh, Chris Prout or Chris Prout? I'm not sure. It's like Proust with no S. I don't know how he feels about tiny delicious cakes. But Prout. 296 was the one that came through. And... Now, 296 is a tricky one, because I don't think anyone's scored 296. Spot on, Daniel. No one has scored 296 okay, so in no any one scored form of international but, cricket. But, but there are other numbers that are also haven't been scored. So that's not going to be the lowest number, I don't think. I don't think it's quite the lowest. I think there's one in the 240s or 50s, but I don't I think recall you're what it right. is. Uh, but it's a, it's a score that nobody's got. Is it two for 96 instead? It could be. Is well, it extremely okay. expensive ODI analysis of... <laughs> it could be, Rashid Khan's, could be yeah. Rashid Khan's figures against England. And uh, not enough runs. Quite parsimonious for Rashid Khan, two for 96. A weigh in possibly on this. I mean, it's... So Trevor Lachlan debuted for Australia. He's the 296th player to do so. He was a World Series cricket okay. um, selection. So he only played a handful of games, but he's, but he's the, the father of Ben, okay. who's still making his way around the T20 yep. circuit. So it might be tangentially related to that. Was, it, did, 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 was there an England cap that was a... Uh, was well, that, a that's the Australian cap. The 296th Englishman, I would guess, would be somewhere around the 90, late 90s. 1950s, 60s. Not quite. He debuted in 1937. His career ended in 1938. An Englishman debuted so, in 37 and ended in 38. Yeah, I think I that's will what I'm struggle with here. that guy. I'm uh, not Arthur Wood uh, of close. Yorkshire. You've, you've you've got one name right. You're a freak. Uh, keep Wood? going. No, Arthur. Arthur. I know there's a lot of Arthurs in 1937. There are a lot of Arthurs in those days. Arthur Wellard, Arthur Wellard, Arthur Wellard, Arthur Wellard, Arthur Wellard. the big, the big hitting Yorkshireman, wow. named well. after um, the the dog in EastEnders. Really? Yeah, incredible. <laughs> or, or, or he also might have played for Somerset and Kent. Either way, I prefer yeah. your version they, of it. Played well, for Somerset. Yeah, I don't think it was Arthur Wellard or Trevor Lachlan. Um, so I'm giving that one to the listeners. That's one point for the listeners. Mm. Um, Chris has stumped us. If you if you think you know what 296 is, I think it's an inning score. I've got a feeling it's a significant. Like a fourth, oh, like innings, a whole team. A fourth inning score in a chase ooh, that doesn't ooh, quite ooh, get there. Is it ooh, what Australia ooh, didn't make at Trent Bridge? Wait a minute. Is it the highest score in the 1982-3 Melbourne Test match between England and Australia, which England won by three runs, and all four innings yes. were within ten runs of each other, yeah. I want to say? Right. Okay. Is that what it is? It's a great Test match for a lot of reasons. Yeah. While, while Jeff looks that up, let's go through why it was a great... I mean, oh. it's it. Derek Pringle does a great job of detailing it in his book last year. My favourite anecdote in it is the bit where Gunnar Gould, who's umpiring his last ICC tournament at the moment, went on as a subfielder because he wasn't playing. He wasn't in the 11. Of course, he was a wicketkeeper. It was his day job. Went down the final league and had a pie tipped on his head from Bay 13. A pie? And just kept fielding. <laughs> that, was, that was the test match that made Alan Border a really great player. Because Bob Willis, for some inexplicable reason, the captain of England in that series, decided to, uh, on that last morning, with Border in terrible form, Jeff Thompson at the other end, to allow Border the single. And the whole thing went on for about an hour and a half. I, I listened to that game uh, on a radio in Wales, aged 13, pacing up and down. And as Australia got closer and closer and closer to it, I, I had to stop 
So I just like recorded the last 20 minutes and got um, Henry Blofeld's miraculous commentary on it. Yeah. I mean, Henry Blofeld's a, a great commentator, but he was always apt to be slightly confused by something happening out of the ordinary. <laughs> so his, his commentary of, he's got it, he's got it, he's dropped it, he's out, he's out. Was uh, was, was uh, stayed with me for basically ever because well, what essentially it's, happened was that the it's Richie Benno when Tavare drops it's, it's, it's Tavare Miller dropped it and Jeff, Miller. Jeff Miller ran yeah. around Ian both from taking a yep. wicket uh, one, one of the slenderest margins mm. of victory I've got a four innings. Alan Border, as a None of them were 296. We've no. got a 284, a 287, a 294, oh. and a 288 all 294, out. 294, so, so, so not 296. We're nearly there, but Chris, you've done us in uh, one point to the listeners. Our next number, Paul Cole, 293. 293, so it's very close to 296, but it's also none of the Melbourne test innings. But it is, I think... Who's it from? Who was the... Who was the uh, uh, it is from Paul Cole. Paul Cole. I, I, I would know, if this were Christian Ryan, it would definitely be Graham Wood, because Graham Wood is a 293rd. Did, did Graham Wood get a 293? No, 293 is his test cap. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Chris Ryan's favourite player. Uh, we loved Graham Wood in this country. Not sure mm. Jeff Thompson was as pleased with him. At 293. So it could be a test score. It could I be... I think it is a test score, and I think uh, it's uh, someone I mean, who made a lot of big test scores. And individuals... Test scores. Did Bradman get a two nine three? Not quite. He got a two nine nine. The two nine nine. Uh, Not out. Oh yes. Gales okay. had some biggies, okay. but okay. I, 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 I think. Yeah. Saywag. 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 Saywag against Saywag. Uh, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. When in two thousand and nine. At a strike rate of one hundred and sixteen. You got to love Saywag. He's, them. he's one of those rare cricketers who refers to himself in the third person. Is he? Yeah, that's normally the preserve of boxers. But uh, I love a man who says. Uh, Saywag has played very well today. The rest of you were rubbish. <laughs> Saywag is unhappy. Apparently, this is this, this used to be Saywag's general. <laughs> really? Uh, I've yeah. just got something on that innings that's worth talking about. So, of all the scores of 293 and above, only one, two, three, four people hit more than the seven sixes he hit. You can understand Matt Hayden. He's 400. Yep. You How many sixes? Hayden hit a little. Well, so, in that innings, yep. uh, Saywag hit seven, right? But if you go scores of that and above... Hayden hit 11. You'd expect that, as I said before. You'd also probably expect Inzamam Al-Huk and Chris Gale. They both hit nine. And even Kumar Sangakara in his 319, he, he hit eight. What you might not expect is that in Wally Hammond's 336 not out, 10 sixes. Yeah, it was against New Zealand, wasn't it? Yes. And it was, it's, that was the quickest triple 100 for a while, wasn't it? 318 minutes at the crease. No balls counted yeah. in that era, but... Ten sixes, yeah. t- ten times he cleared the rate, Wally. Remarkable. Yeah. Also, how many how many sixes did uh, Len Hutton hit in uh, nineteen thirty eight? I'm going with zero. <laughs> yeah, <he> definitely hit <laughs> zero. The seven hundred ninety seven minutes stay. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And I think also when when Adam Voges made his two sixty seven against the West Indies, it was the highest score of that magnitude or above that that wasn't scored by. Sorry, it was the fastest that wasn't scored by Saywag. As in, he'd scored his big 200 faster mm. than anyone else had scored a big 200. And also, Voges didn't hit a six in that innings either. 269 not out off 285 balls, no sixes. That's, a, that's an achievement in itself. Our next is from Andrew Donison, very good friend of the show. Hello, Dono. Love you, Dono. Three. Dono. Can, I, can, I, can I join in with that? Yeah. Hello, Dono. Hello, Dono. Hello, Dono. <laughs> Just imagine you're on Neighbours or something. 374. Oh. Or 374. Now, I've got a feeling about this one. 374 is that uh, oh jeez it's not Sri Lankan is it is it Jaya Waddina it is yep spot on it but it could not. be other things knowing Dono he's that kind of character so it's Stuart McGill's test cap number 
It could be that. It, it easily yeah, could that, be that. that. that one of the, see, people often talk about how England have, for example, stolen Joffre Archer. But how Australia managed to steal Stuart McGill, I do not know. He should be playing for Glamorgan to this day. Uh, <laughs> he and Ryan Giggs just lining yeah. up in a parade well, of wasted talent. And Andy Madwazim, of course, don't True, you? Of course, one, yeah. of the, one of the few Welsh-born Pakistan cricketers. I reckon there's going to be another 374 here too. I just can't quite nail it, but there must be... See, I'm not aware of Dono being a huge Jai Wardner fan, but maybe How he is. How could you not be yeah. a Jai Wardner fan? Jai Wardner is one of the few men in this yeah. world who understands the effects of kinesthesia. Right. So, um, what, what most people... I'm going to give you a scoop here, okay. and I can prove it to you later by yeah, putting yeah. a light well, on your head. It's a Foxy Fowler thing. Yeah. It's a Foxy Fowler thing. Okay. If you put plastic on your head, but you don't, you don't put a... Uh, a real fibre, what you call it, you know, a, a natural, natural fibre yep. between your head and the helmet, you will lose power in your muscles. Right. Uh, because plastic has this effect. It disrupts try, try your this magnetic out home, field. Kids. Go and get, get a friend, get them to stand up, get them to take their dominant arm and put it out to one side, then try to pull that arm down. You know, go quite push, hard, yeah, try, try to, to push, push the arm the down, yeah. Then place a small cigarette lighter on a head or a piece of plastic and then do the same thing and you'll discover that they are weakened it's like kryptonite to Superman right. whereas Jaya Wardner and Chris Gale are both aware of this and they both wear bandanas yes and as there's a lot and of Carolyn people, Atkins I was going to say a lot, a, lot, a lot of the Graham Fowler factory of stars used to wear bandanas when they batted for Correct. exactly the same Renner reason in fact I remember line. didn't we stand on a balcony and do it with Foxy one night down I have some recollection of us sitting at Lord's we did stone cold sober of course naturally yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, well, you know, purely for the bandana chat, um, I'm going to decide that that was Jaya Wardner. And, Donna, if we're wrong, you can let us know. Uh, Adam Reed has sent in 257. Oh, 257. Brutal. That's Thank what, you, it, Adam. Is it, is it one run less than Ben Stokes' miraculous 258? It is that. Cape that is Town. one of the numbers <laughs> it is. But I don't think it is that. I've got a... 257 is a stinker. Oh, hang on. It's 257. The... Oh, I got it. The lowest... Not scored number. No, I can't definitely, think of definitely person. not because it's what Wazim Akram made. Wazim Akram against Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe yeah, two five seven not out with twelve sixes. It is what Wazim Akram thing. made against Zimbabwe, but I think it's something else. Uh, it's Ricky's high score. It is Ricky Ponting's high score. I was there for that against I, India at Melbourne in two thousand and three, thereabouts. Yeah, it must have been a three or four. Yeah. I'm going to give that one to Adam. So we're locked at four apiece. Oh, yeah, this is hotting up. Oh, this is absolutely hotting up. Thank you, Adam Reed. Dan Crowley uh, has given us this one's this one's good. I like this one. He said he gave us a hint, and he said it's not from this century, Ooh. nor is it from the last century. Oh joy! And the number is two four five. Two, four, five, and obviously it's not an individual score because no one made scores that big by that point. No, the highest score, yeah. Well, Ari Foster's two eighty-seven was the was world record in, in the nineteen oh two. I think two, yeah, two forty-five. So we're thinking innings score. Oh, is that what Australia scored in the first innings when Bannerman got his Bannerman? It's exactly that. unbelievable. It, you deserve to win on that basis, there, <laughs> especially because. That's your sweet spot, the yeah, Batman. Yeah. That's, that's why it was sent to us, I'm sure. And uh, thank you, Dan Crowley, for listening to us and, and giving us what we need. So, Norcross leading 5-4. Edward Bearfield-Smith has sent us one which is highly confusing, which I'm still working on and haven't worked it out. So, Edward, we will come back to you. This is one, it pi r squared or something? No, this was, this was uh, the one that I mentioned about a, about right. a five. For, anyway, I'll, I'll keep working on that. Tom Clark, someone has to get this one, 299. Ah, uh, well. 
Yeah, there is that, but there's, I think it, there's, 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 there's a, better ones than Bradman, isn't there? There's a few people. How many? Oh, I've, I've two people got two nine nine out. Brendan McCullum, did he get? Oh no 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 no! no, 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 no not Brendan McCullum. No, 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 you're, you're very close. In fact, I know this one, and you're going to get it. I know this. Think about it. Any 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 till 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 the day he died, it was still a major regret. Till the day he, he talked, died, he talked about it not long before he died. You you would have. Re- I know we both read this piece. I think we talked about it at the time. Oh man, you're going to put me out of my misery. Four years ago, Martin Crow. Martin Crow. Martin. It was Martin Crow. And you was a New Zealand. It's weird how your brain indexes Kiwis. They're together. all the same. They're all the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Coney. <laughs> Jeremy Coney definitely did not well make Well done. 299 runs. <laughs> a lot of runs to make. When the sun, the moon and the stars align in perfect harmony, it is possible even here at Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I don't even know where to start. One day we'll get Jeremy on the show, and we're going to have a we're we going to do the, the anatomy of his coaching video from 1982, which oh. is on YouTube, which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I played it to him on air one day. It involves a young Chris Harris, and that's all I'm going to say. With hair, wow, as a 12 year old boy. With, oh my word! So without like the Bobby Charlton, can't is we? it yes. better than the Chris Martin batting coaching video where he has cinder blocks tied to his feet? <laughs> and he, it's legitimately Chris Martin actually got in this video. It's amazing. <laughs> He's like, let me teach you how to bat. And, <laughs> that I'd like to see. It, it's, one, it's also on YouTube. But, yeah, the Jeremy Coney, the most successful one-day international chaser of all time, never dismissed in a successful run chase in one-day cricket. Jeremy Coney, is that Jeremy true? Coney, yep. Bring that up with him on air. He doesn't have an average yeah. in successful chases because he was never out. He was always there at the end. And he'd have been in a few good successful yeah. run yeah. chases, wouldn't he? He they, wasn't they, quite they, a few. They weren't, they weren't that shabby. World Series Cup days. Mm. So I'm going to say that uh, Martin Crowe, so that's five apiece. It's yeah. absolute neck and neck. Thanks, Tom Clark, for that one. Another Clark. We've got multiple Clarks, multiple O'Sullivans. Stuart. James Clark, 350. Thank Ooh. you, James. 350 now. Let's that's a horrible number. I, don't, I actually don't like that number. 350. Okay, let's go back to when I don't know what it is I go back is it going to be an Australian numbers. player I suspect it's an Australian cap number because it's right oh, in that yeah, sweet yeah, spot yeah, 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 yeah. You, again we, we all know this cap number he used to have a Nike earring there's many things I could identify him by but that's the one I'm going to choose today I, I, sometimes it amazes me what you guys watch when you're watching cricket <laughs> you're looking out for the Nike earring well, where are we, where, where's the, where, for okay, the high elbow okay where's the game that there's a game being played in the World Cup right now where's it being played it's been played in Manchester. What's the most famous ball bowl at Manchester? Oh, God. Is it him? Yeah, it's him. It's is him. it him? It's him. I'm afraid. He who shall not be named. Vaughny, or Vaughny, as I prefer to call him. Is it, if, you ever, if you ever find yourself in a box with uh, Michael Vaughan and Shane Warne and Sunil Gavaskar, it's one of the great things to see. Sunil Gavaskar pronounces Shane Warne, Shane Vaughan, so therefore calls him Vaughny. And he pronounces Shane Vaughan, Shane, uh, Michael Vaughan, Michael Warne, and pronounces, therefore... Warney. So when he says Vaughny and Warney turns around and similarly vice versa, it's one of the just one of the great sights in a commentary box. <laughs> what a lovely place to leave it, Jeff. There's one more we have to do because okay, this okay, is okay. relevant to uh, something that came up before. It's from Martin Lawrence. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Martin. 287. Uh, I just want to say to, to begin with, Martin Lawrence has been a huge supporter of the final word for many, many years. Thank you, Martin. Uh, 287. 287. It was mentioned in discussions today. Not the Melbourne Test match of 1982-3. Uh, oh, 287, not out. No. Uh, um, okay. It's Think. not a number of wickets. Let's work through it. What it's would Ted Hastings do? A, if it's, a, it's a score. It's an, inning, an individual inning score of 287. You mentioned it earlier, but you got the number wrong. Oh, did I? 
Uh, one more clue. We Zahir want to get this. Abbas? No. It wasn't Zahir Abbas. No. It's a very old number. Oh, it's, 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 it's R.E. Foster's Foster. highest score on debut in 1902. That's right. It was 287, not 297, is oh, what Tip Foster made. You said 297. Oh, I meant 287. Oh, of course yeah. you did. Of course. But <laughs> yeah. that, that's why yeah, you didn't yeah. remember what it was when yeah. I said 287. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was Reginald Tip Foster in 1902. It was the highest score at the SCG until Michael yeah. Clark knocked it off. I was going to say, and he's got to mention, triple. We, we, we've mentioned him in yep. some context some years ago. And, it remains uh, the highest score on debut, of course. Yep. And it was also the highest score by a visiting batsman in Australia until Ross mm. Taylor beat it with his 290. 291. And that's why it came up. We, we, when when Ross Taylor made 291, I think it was in Perth, we, we devoted a lot of time to Tip Foster. So I'm glad he, we go full circle four years later. Would I be right in saying that Lawrence Rowe scored more runs cumulatively on his debut in the two innings that he faced? I have you a might. feeling that he may have done. I'm not quite sure. I'm willing to back you in. You, you've, sure. you've been pretty good so far. You have come away with a 6-4 win in Nerd Pledge Quiz. Oh, really? What we're going to do at some point, Dan, before the end of the summer is we're going to get Andrew Sampson involved and bring Samo down. Oh, that's yes. us the, three against the, him. The BBC... Yeah. the BBC, we'll still lose yeah, by yeah. Oh, yeah. Test yeah. special scorer and also the SEN cricket scorer in Melbourne who has got a brain for this like no other. So if we, if the three of us team up against Samson, that could be something. We, we we're, would we're get about a chance a of losing 9-3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's also, he's got the softest South African voice in cricket apart from KP. That is the only thing I hasten to add that they have in common. <laughs> it's not easy being me in this dressing room. Yeah. As a colleague once said to me with KB, she can't go too camp when impersonating him. <laughs> there is no, there's no, there such is no possible index. Jeff, uh, can, I, can I just, just on, on yep. my final word on the KP subject? Is I yep. don't know if you saw a tweet that somebody sent out some time ago, and I just put this out there with, with no judgment, and it said, I hate KP so much, I now hate rhinos. <laughs> <laughs> we found him quite charming. Jeff and I interviewed him the other week. And he, was, he was quite good value. He was good value. Yeah. But, but, uh, but that is that is a wonderfully composed insult. <laughs> Even if you don't agree with the target of the insult, it's beautifully put together. I hate this man so much that I'm now buying powdered rhino horn just to increase the demand in the market. <laughs> on the hope that it will piss him off at some later date. And that is an extraordinary, yep. extraordinarily well put together slash. Like I say, I, I made no judgment. We have a lot more nerd pledges to get through. We're sorry if we didn't get to yours today, but you've been so great in your support. We're incredibly grateful, and we will keep going, starting with Jonathan Newman's next week. Thanks to Martin Lawrence for the previous one. We will have more rounds of nerd pledge quiz, as well as we get Andrew Sampson and others onto the show. Can't wait. It's been a lot of fun. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thank you to Daniel Norcross for bringing us his insight, wish and wisdom as he has done before and hopefully will do again. Yeah, I'm mindful because the three of us were sitting in a cafe together or a restaurant together. There's probably a lot of us talking over each other, so it might not have been necessarily the most enjoyable listening experience, but gee, it was fun doing it with him. And uh, and, and we've decided, Jeff, that this is going to be a feature of the show going forward. It will. We're going to see who else we can get on. If you have any thoughts about who you'd like us to be quizzing, let us know. Uh, if you have thoughts about who we should be interviewing, we've got a bit of a short list with some suggestions from listeners, which is great that we're building up. You can, of course, find either Adam or I on Twitter. You can also email us at finalwordcricket at gmail.com. And we are nearing um, 201 patron subscribers. And the only reason I raised that number is that um, that was the next goal we put up. We yep. said when we got to the ton that Jeff would re-release the Sean Marsh poem, and he's done that for patron subscribers exclusively. And if we get to 201, we have, well, we're going we're gonna to release our outtakes. We have, <laughs> we have a pretty extensive blooper reel in both audio and video form, which, which I've been collecting in parts. But it's also going to take a fair bit of sifting through some old tapes. So, 
it's going to be a big job, but it's worth it if we get to 201. Of course, 201 is Jason Gillespie's um, famous test double hundred. And I actually got to give him the, you know, the, the tap in goal the other day because we were on BBC radio together and um, talk, doing the post wrap little pod there talking yep. about Karuna Ratna slowing down as he neared the 100 and I got to say well you know batsmen do tend to tense up as they approach 100 in international cricket how did you deal with that sort of stress Jason <laughs> and he turned around and said well I'm glad you asked me that Jeff <laughs> let me <laughs> and he goes it's completely different when you're on the way to 200 as well can I add <laughs> So, so 201 is the magic number. Uh, if you want to join up on Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash the final word, and that's the place where you can say, all right, I'm going to chuck in two bucks an episode or, or five bucks a month or whatever it is that you want to do and just uh, throw in a little bit to the tin to help things keep moving along. Yeah, and crucially, if you're new to the show and you've listened then, the, the idea is you throw in $2.13 or you, sh- or you throw in $1.47 and, and we have to do the rest. Yeah, so you give us a number, whatever it might be, and you can cap that as your monthly if you want to do a big number you can cap that as your monthly contribution and that's also fine you give us a number and we will try to work out what it is it might be seven dollars 33 which was tim southey's seven for 33 i was against very happy getting that by the way um, getting ahead of dan considering yeah, it was an england one i'm, it, it I'm was, still chuffed well they've blotted that one out of their memories so jump on the patron page and have a look they'll be uh we'll, there'll be more things that we're putting up there as well as we go and we're putting the finishing touches on the website which is just a sort of one-stop shop for all of these final word related things so it's finalwordcricket.com and it looks awesome i can't wait to release the website jay Mueller, bad producer productions who's looked after us for, for yonks now um he's done an amazing job uh in assembling all the different component parts um yeah that's going to be great for us to have that yeah one-stop shop and uh, and as ever um jay and bad producer productions are, are just uh, making this such a smoother operation we're ever so grateful for their support thank you to jay thanks to av jennings thanks to you for listening and uh well for listening to the daily wrap up of the game that hasn't finished yet but that we've already released and uh, if you want to keep up with the World Cup as we go there'll be a daily episode wrapping up each day's game or games coming out early in the morning Australian time or in the evening UK time or in the middle Indian time wherever else you are around the world we've got at least one listener in New York so we're spreading the gospel around the world. Yeah, I like the fact that as soon as we hit stop on this, we pretty much have to record the daily one. So the world of podcasting and the world of the final world never really, there is no final world. They still word, haven't finished yet. It's only the 43rd over. <laughs> yeah, we might have a problem here in terms of many radio obligations. Anyway, such is life. Such is life. As yeah. my great, great, great uncle wrote, Joseph Furphy. Yes, I've heard this Wikipedia story many, many, many times. <laughs> this is the final word. It has been the final word and it will continue to be the final word. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We'll see you next time. Bye. I had to go